I am Catherine Bruyer, and I am listening to Do South by Southeast. I wish this podcast would carry me away But while talking to Squeak and the shell get a word in edgeways Rickled over a bottle of rum on a dock of Southampton Bay To South That is what we're talking about To South Saddle up my microphone Get deep in Baker To South by Southeast. Hello and welcome to Due South by Southeast, the show that gives Due South its dues one episode at a time. My name is Detective Squee, and with me, as always, is Dottie Baker. And also joining me is. Mountie Michelle. And civilian aide Elaine Nicola. Yay! How's everyone doing? Alright, yeah, good, good. Isn't it wonderful to be recording all this all this fancy new equipment? Yay! Yep. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I we may be on more fancy equipment yet I'm still doing this on my own, I can see. Well, uh, yeah, this week it's very exciting and I hope I'm getting all the levels right and this is coming out okay because we're working with a brand new studio equipment setup. It has taken us, what, three quarters of an hour to get this all set up right? It's taken a while, but it's all fancy pants. Yeah. Now, what I provided to getting this all the set up was me doing the levels, getting it all right, it all right, making sure it sounds perfect and there's no echo or imbalance or whatever. What have you guys uh, uh, committed to the to the project? Ourselves. <laughs> Saying testing one, two, three and complaining about it all the way through. That's what you brought to it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you actually like you expected more of us. I mean, come on. <laughs> You're right. The problem was my expectations being too high. Yeah. <laughs> right, a bit close to the mics if you could, ladies. Okay. How's this? Okay, that's better. Uh... Guys, uh, of course, it is a very special episode. Two weeks in a row, we've had Due South stars. Last week, it was the amazing Tony Craig. And this week, it is the equally amazing Catherine Bruyer. Woo! Yay! I believe I said that name right. You did. Yeah. Bruyer. Yeah. Yeah. As in Bru and yay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's how she explained it. Well, I mean, I, I think... I, I'm trying to remember if that's actually in the... Yeah. Recorder, if it was just in her talking before Ooh, I don't know, the actually. mics went on, like before we started the interview proper. I don't know, but yeah. No, you're right. yeah. That's how it was, brew and yay. Yeah. So uh, you're going to hear all about that in a minute, though, when we speak to Catherine Bruyer. She was lovely, wasn't she? She was great. She was so mm. nice. Yeah. I absolutely loved her. Mm. And she, yeah, she was so sweet. and and I just love you know, talking to these people from Giselle and going into their past. They've got so many stories. They're so interesting. It's, it's great to hear um, kind of their before and after Giselle as well. 
Yeah, and I think it's amazing that uh, she's one of these people who, uh, like uh, Tony Craig, had such an interesting kind of like backstory. Like he he did the music. She did some other interesting theatre projects, which, uh, you know, shows her as quite a trailblazer in yeah. ways which you will hear in the yeah. interview. So we're not going to give that all away just yet, but we're going to do a few of the orders of business for which we are famous, or, yeah. you know, for which we have a few hundred listeners. That, that'll yeah. do me. So, Michelle, I think we should start off with, what, what rum are we drinking? Woo! Well, we're going, we are drinking Captain Morgan's. You see? Sorry, yeah. And if you heard that noise in the background, how crisp and clear did you just hear <laughs> Dottie's bum going into the door frame? Never before has her bottom sounded so crisp and clear. So we've got two rums, actually. We, we yeah. have Captain Morgan's, which we've had before. I don't feel like we need to talk about Captain Morgan's. Everyone knows it's lovely. It's a lovely, just good evening drink. Which version of Captain Morgan's is it, though? It's the Spiced Gold one, the original Spiced Gold. And I was trying to read something on it. I thought it said Happy Morgan, but I don't think it does. Happy um, Morgan? Yeah, I was trying... To, I think it's my... Is I think that you're Happy that, Madison's I brother? I think that actually says Harry Morgan. Harry Mor- was that his name, Captain Harry Morgan? Well, I mean, he was Harry to me, Harold to you, though. Possibly Harry or Henry, maybe. But Henry, Henry actually is Harry anyway, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway, anyway, look, we don't need to do a deep dive in Captain Morgan's. We've already covered that before. What was the rum we were drinking during the interview, though, Michelle? That's right next to you. Oh. I don't know why you're searching for the it. The thing is, there's so many bottles of rum around here. I've got to make sure I've got the right rum. That is true. We do like our <laughs> rum. And now in the studio, we've got all the bottles of rum from previous records up on the wall. It's, it, it does look pretty damn special. It does look good. We'll try and remember, because we're pretty bad at doing this, but we'll try and remember to take a photo and put it up on the uh, yeah, Juice Up by nice Southeast uh, Instagram. Yeah, that's a nice bottle to take. Yeah, but what is the bottle that, that's Rum nice? Bullion. Rumble is a bit special, this one. It's piratey looking. It now, is. there's a bit of a tale to the story here because we recorded part one of Victoria's Secret about a month ago. We had a lot of backed up episodes of Due South by Southeast where we talked about the episodes of Due South. Then we had the interview with Tony Craig and uh, some fool. I want to blame Michelle, quite frankly. <gasps> some fool of a person managed to lose the record. Some said it was me, but I'm pretty sure it was Michelle. Hmm. But we lost the record of us talking about uh, Victoria's Secret. So we're going to re-record that. But the first time we recorded that, we drank the rum bullion as well. As yes. we did on the re-record, because we got partway through the bottle. Michelle foolishly left it going, guys, leave some for when I'm next round. And we said yes. And of course, drank through it all and had to replace it. So when we talked about... Victoria's Secret the second time we drunk one bullion as well. Yes. Just to make things extra complicated, because we did that on the night when we talked to Catherine Bruyer, we got round to watching the episode but not talking about it for Due South by Southeast. So we're going to be doing that after we do this introduction to the Catherine Bruyer episode, which we also recorded that other night. Mm-hmm. Are you confused yet? You should be. <laughs> So that's also going to cause some confusion with the juice, uh, the um, Mini Mountain Club in a minute. But let, let's get back to the Rumbolian. Yes. So this is the one which we drank a, a healthy bracing glass full of while we spoke to uh, Catherine Brie. We, we had, well, two glasses each, me and Michelle. 
Nick was battling a migraine when he had was, time, yeah, so, so you only got through one glass. Uh, but I don't even know if I got through one, but I certainly just went off to bed half yeah. Easy, I think. Yeah, yeah, well, you had to go out and let the dogs out because we're a professional organisation here. Yeah. But anyway, Ron Bullion, Michelle. I think we've actually, sorry to interrupt, we've just answered the question. Who let the dogs out? I did. Woof, 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 woof. There you go. Yeah, that was good, wasn't it? Well, that was yeah. worth the interruption. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody probably wants to know that quote answer. Yeah. Anyway, so Michelle, you keep talking. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is an absolutely lovely rum. Um, Caribbean rum spices and other natural flavours. Don't know what they are, but it's, I think this one had quite a bit of a licorice taste to it. Oh, it's lovely. I it has a uh, very deep, rich flavour. It does cost you a bit extra. I think it's like 30 quid or close. Yeah, to it was somewhere around Not a cheap that. one. No. But it is well worth it. It's a little mm. treat rum. If, you, if you're having something special, having some friends round for a special occasion, this is the rum you get You in. want to impress the ladies, yeah. that's the one. But the oh beer. yeah, <laughs> I believe you were very impressed by a Nicola. I was, I was. It's been a long time since Michelle, I've been impressed by something. As you are technically also a lady, were you impressed? I mean, technically, of course I'm a lady. Yes, I, yes, I was. <laughs> technically a lady. <laughs> for the last ten years after yeah. the yacht. <laughs> <laughs> We don't talk about uh, Mitch's <laughs> past. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. I was we just... don't tell Gary anyway. <laughs> <laughs> or Geraldine, as he used to be called. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I was going to say how nice the bottle is as well. It's kind of wrapped in this kind of brown paper. And, and, and that sounds like a park bench job, <laughs> it's but it's not. We're brown bagging it here. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's fitted to the bottle very neatly, and then it's got the wax yeah, seal over the top. Black wax, which is kind of slightly dripping down the side a bit, and it's got some rope that's tied around the top. It's really cool. I think definitely a photo of that one. It looks yeah. like something they get pissed in in the monastery. Yes. Mm. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's a very fine rum, and we really enjoyed it. And I, I love the fact that when we're talking to... Uh, uh, Catherine, that she was saying, it's like uh, we we. I said, oh, we're just quickly topping our drinks before we record. When I was talking to her on Skype before we got her on the phone, and she was, and when we got on the phone, I made some sort of offhand comment. You'll hear it in the interview anyway about like drinking rum while we uh, talk about due south. And she said, was that what we were talking up on before we <laughs> we came on? Like I was like, yeah, busted. Yeah. <laughs> oh, she was so cool though. As she was, and definitely, if you want to hold up the bottle of rum, I, I will take the photo now for her Instagram. Yeah. Something very nice and interesting. Get in there. <laughs> get in. Get I in, Nicola. Get in. Nicola, <laughs> you're in anyway, so you're out of pose, or you're just in there looking gorgeous. Oh, nice bit of girl on girl photo as well. Anyway, so, uh, so that is the rum we're drinking. Michelle, though, we've got one other order of business, and. What could it be? Right, these sound cues might sound as if I'm playing them off my iPad into the microphone because I haven't figured out how to do jack-in, but jack-in being as in, like, plug in the iPad into the mixing board. I will get used to how to do that. Like, this is all going to sound... It's a work in progress, basically, is what I'm trying to say. It's going to sound better and better each week. But for now, it's time for... So it's Mini Mountie Cop. Uh, this will be slightly confused by the fact that the mini Mounties you will hear added during the Victoria's Secret episode next week, because we want to keep Victoria's Secret Part 1 and Part 2 together in the stream when we release them. So yes. we thought we'd get out the Catherine Brie episode first. But because we previously recorded 
Victoria's Secret and lost the episode, the numbers are all going to be all over the place. So you're going to get a higher number now for uh, our Mini Mounty this week, and then lower numbers for next week's Mini Mounties. Got it? Okay, great. If you haven't, tough. <laughs> so, what? who have we got this week, pray tell, Michelle? I wonder who it is, given the interview this week. It's going to be the lovely Catherine Bruyer. Yay! Well, Catherine Bruyer. So, a, a second Due South cast member as a Mini Mountie. Yes. How awesome is this? It's amazing. She's at number 70 in our chart. 70. Wow. So, next week we're going to have a pretty special number just before that. Yeah, I was, I was really pleased with that. Yeah, we are very childish here. Yes. I think that's all the orders of business, though. We haven't got anything else to do? Nope. Great. So, uh, from me, Detective Squee... And Mountie Michelle, civilian aide Elaine Nicola. And of course, from Dottie Baker, please enjoy our interview with Catherine Bruyer. Hello, can you hear me? We can, how are you doing? I'm good, I'm good. I can barely hear you. Oh, sorry, is that better? Not at all, not much. It says speaker off. Let me hold on. Maybe it's on my end. Oh, there we go. How's that? Yeah. Can you hear me now? Oh, yes, I can hear you now. Perfect. <laughs> what I've had to go for, because, uh, yeah, as I say, got a brand new home studio, all this kind of lovely equipment, which I've just spent loads of money on, and it doesn't want to talk to my laptop, so I'm waiting for a new bit to oh, arrive no. tomorrow. So you're currently on my speakerphone with my microphone right in front of me. Oh, okay. So we're in the same boat. Yeah, I'm due for a new computer, but I just have so much stuff on here, I... Just like, how am I going to transfer it? And, you know, but yeah. I am due for one, for sure. Well, uh, we're also joined tonight by uh, Michelle. Hello. And Hi, Michelle. Hello. And by Nicola. Hello. Hi, Nicola. Hello. And my dog who won't say hi, Dottie, who's uh, currently sat on the sofa between them. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, have you got any questions before we get going? I just, I'm not familiar with your podcast. I probably should have done a little bit of research, but um, are fine. we live or? No, no, no. This is all going to get recorded and then we'll put out later. Um, I think I said to you before, we, we happened to just get our first Due South guest on last week in uh, Tony Craig. So uh, Yes. Yeah. Um, so you're, you're our second interviewee. So, so thank you very much for coming and doing it. You're welcome. Um, yeah. Thank we, you for Oh, sorry. Oh, I just said thank you for thinking of me. Oh, no, that's great. I mean, um, yeah, we just try and keep it fun. It's just a lighthearted kind of interview, really. And uh, the other weeks we talk about uh, Due South while drinking rum, pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what they had to top up their drinks with? Yeah, it is, it is. (laughs) We have got a rum on the go. (laughs) Well, we'd we'd disappoint our listeners if we didn't have one on the go. I see. (laughs) Um, so can I just check, is it pronounced Brewer, your surname? No, it's pronounced Brew-yay, Brew-yay, like you're having Brew-yay. a brew and your team is winning yay, Brew-yay. <laughs> Brew-yay, that's a good way of yeah. remembering it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Most people remember it when I say it that way. <laughs> okay, that's cool. No, I like it. Um, so yeah, if you're okay, we'll intro you in and get going. Sure. Okay, I am now, uh, we are now joined by the marvellous Elaine herself, Kath- Catherine Bruyer. How are you tonight? 
or today as it would be for you. Wonderful. Yes, that's right. It's noon here in Los Angeles. I am wonderful. Thank you. Excellent. It's a beautiful day here. Well, I mean, usually I start off the interviews by asking about how people got started, but IMDb, I mean, if they're correct in any way, shape or form, which they're not always, has actually quite a lot on your younger years. So uh, I'm, I'm going to sort of lead with a, a sort of chunk from your IMDb, if that's okay. Sure. <laughs> well, what it, what it says, and you can tell me where it's wrong. <laughs> is, okay. Catherine Bruyer was born in Belize, Central America, formerly British Honduras. Her mother and father were born and raised in Belize. Her family moved to St. John, New Brunswick, Canada when she was an infant after graduating from St. John's High School, the same high school Don Sutherland attended, and winning a scholarship and an artistic award, she moved to Toronto to pursue her acting career. Is, is that accurate so far? That is. I will just add a little note that I did not attend St. John High School at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously not. We were not suggesting anything of the kind. <laughs> so, uh, so what was Keitha like to go to go to school with then? <laughs> what was what? I was joking. I said, "What was Keitha oh, like Keitha. to go to school with then?" Oh, I, I think they had moved away at that point already. Already, but I'm not sure actually. And he was—I think he was—he's a bit older than me, also. Oh no, of course. Sorry, I should have known that as well. Uh, but with with Donald, was okay. he a bit of a legend at the school then? Um, you know, I wasn't really aware of who he was at that time. I was really bad that way. I mean, where I grew up, there were two channels. I think maybe three as I got older. So really, I I was really quite out of the loop as far as, you know, what was on television or in the movie theaters. That didn't come till later, embarrassingly enough. Yeah. But it's very impressive to at high school have won a scholarship and an artistic award. I mean, you know, it's obviously you were already very driven from a very young age towards acting. Oh, thank you. Well, yeah, it was, um, you know, it was a very, St. John is one of the larger um, cities in New Brunswick, but it's still relatively small compared to other metropolitan cities. So it wasn't, you know, a whole lot. It was just a couple hundred dollars, but it was something. So, you know, there's that. I was thankful either way. And then the next note it gives us from IMDb is after attending uh, both York University, University of Toronto briefly, and graduating from the Georgetown College Theatre Program, your first big break was being cast as the leading lady alongside Eric McCormack in David French's play Saltwater Moon. It's George Brown College. Um, Yep. Yeah, sorry, and then what was your question? No, I was just going to say, so uh, Eric McCormack, who would go on to, to be in Will and Grace, and uh, uh, perhaps you'd like to tell us a bit about that play, because it sounds like it was uh, noteworthy for, for one particular reason. Yeah, it was a, an amazing opportunity. Eric McCormack was a, a ton of fun. Um, I had actually been cast previously um, to do two plays with Theatre New Brunswick's Young Company. And it's kind of ironic because I left New Brunswick where I grew up to go to Toronto to, to school. And then my first job was back in New Brunswick um, <laughs> for the Young Company doing um, the Odyssey, like a children's version, and uh, Skin by Dennis Foon. And then the artistic director, Sharon Pollock at the time, approached me about um, playing... Mary in Saltwater Moon, but 
she didn't come right out and say it. So she was talking to me about it. And I, because it wasn't traditionally cast with the minority, I wasn't even sure why she was talking to me. And then eventually she said she wanted me to play Mary. So I was very amazed by that. And um, at the time in Toronto, there was a symposium on untraditional casting and how they needed, they wanted, you know, more actors of color to be present on stage in some of the mainstream theater. Cause it seemed like in a lot of the, the younger, like the children's theaters and plays that would go into schools for kids, there was a lot of mixed casting. It, kids were colorblind in the fact that, you know, the mom might be one color, the kid might be one color, different races. It didn't matter. So the yeah. question was, why isn't this happening at Stratford and Shaw and some of the main theaters? So when Sharon asked me to do this, as I had mentioned to you, I wasn't even, I didn't, I wasn't even thinking like that. I was thinking, well, oh, why is she talking to me about this? So I was quite, you know, flattered when she offered me the role. She had seen my work in the Young Company, and then, um, you know, after I did it, I wrote to this magazine, Theatra Magazine that had published this article on this symposium and said, you know, here's an example of something that happened that wasn't mentioned. So this was, you know, a positive thing that had happened. It was an untraditionally cast play. Um, I'm sort of going backwards into your question, but I will get there. Yeah, please. Um, the play, the play um, is about two young people um, in Newfoundland in 1926. And so, Sharon Pollock thought, and my character, she worked for a family. So she thought, you know, she works for a family. If there were people of color in 1926, why couldn't she be one of them? And, you know, it's about love. It's not about, it's not about race, the play. So um, the gentleman who was the editor of Theatrum at the time, I think his name was Nigel Hunt, maybe. I can't remember. I'll have to look back at the article. But he said, you know, why don't you write it? And I was like, um, I'm not a writer. I'm, I can't write it. He was like, well, talk to me more about it. And how about, you know, write down some thoughts and then I'll just edit it and we'll go from there. So anyway, to make a long story short, I ended up writing an article on my experience in an untraditionally cast role. And from that article, it went on to be republished in a textbook for um, schools yeah. um, called Playmaking Magazine. So that um, was kind of a big, break all around it didn't happen all at once it was like a year later that the article came out but um it was a great play it's about um two uh, young people that were in love and then the the guy goes off to toronto and ends up joining the war and leaves me back in newfoundland and it's there's it starts when he comes back home to their small town and um it's a it's got a lot of you know, touching bits and funny bits. And it was a wonderful experience and had to learn, you know, the accent as well. So yeah, it was a great first start for sure. And it got me my equity card. So, <laughs> and it yeah. just, just seems uh, really tremendous to me that you were involved in kind of colorblind casting. Whereas now they're still making a fuss over them doing that for Marvel movies, for instance, where they've kind of uh, just the, the example that springs to my mind is Mary Jane Watson uh, recently got back. <laughs> cast as a black actress and and you know it's, it seems crazy there's still a fuss made over it whereas you were doing this back in the 90s i know i mean it's gotten a lot better and for sure um but yeah it it, it is silly and you know i didn't really realize as a small child you know realizing first of all that i wanted to do this um that there were 
were certain limitations because of the color of my skin. And so that was sort of a big realization as I went along in auditions and stuff like that. So yeah, it was kind of nice to be a part of that change, maybe, in some <laughs> small way. <laughs> You're a trailblazer, own it, come on. Yes, okay, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, did, did you do a lot of theatre after that, or did you go move more towards TV? Um, I did a fair bit of theatre after that. Um, I ended up going on to do the Shaw Festival, which was a, also another milestone. Um, I was cast as um, Serafita Lunn in... Oh my gosh, I have to look at my resume. I can't remember the name of the play. Um, in um, Overruled. So that was a big thing. Her, her, I think her one of her parents was from England and the other was from Spain. And so Christopher Newton, who was the artistic director at the time, thought, you know, that would be a good... And Roy Surrett was the director and he ultimately cast me that that would be fine. And But it's silly that they have to, you know, make excuses for that when it doesn't really matter. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so I ended up doing a lot of theatre. I did the Shaw Festival. I did Factory Theatre. That was also another sort of um, social piece. Andrew Moody wrote it and he specifically wrote that part for me. And it sort of was a group of black Canadians from different walks of life, one from, you know, the Caribbean, one from Nova Scotia. And there's different sort of stories behind each of them, but they all lived in a house. Um, my character was a student and I was w working on an essay and it was during the time of the Rodney King riot. So it was, the play was about that. It was like how we as Canadians were affected by that. And it was a comedy, comedy drama, I would call it, but it was really well received and it was redone again. I did it, ended up doing it twice. Um, a few things I, I, I was able to do. I did a lot of theater, put it that way. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, I, I don't know, like, I know this is a very kind of like rest of the world centric kind of viewpoint, but I just, I can't imagine the Canadians kind of getting into race rights and stuff. You just seem too nice. Yeah, no, that we, it wasn't, <laughs> but it was just how we were, were affected by it. You know, there were some, yeah, it was, you know, there was just different, different situations that happened. I can't remember specific details. <laughs> I swear, ever since I've had a child, <laughs> I, I remember bits and pieces. I have to like, it's funny, but anyway, that's okay. That's a whole other topic. <laughs> well, let's get on to some of your TV work. Uh, I, I love the. I, I mean, I don't know anything about it, but I love the name of your first um, TV gig, which is listed on IMDb. And anyway, is in uh, Polka Dot Door. Oh right, the Polka Dot Door. Yeah, that the was host. one of. Uh, one of my earlier gigs for sure yeah that was um I think I think that actually aired in in the UK it was like a kids show um I think it I don't even know if it's, it might still even be on it literally was a polka dot door that um it you know you would go through and then it was this whole other world there was a a main character pokeroo who never spoke and certain characters on the the show never saw him kind of like maybe snuffleupagus i think they might have changed that later on but the funniest part was there were other stuffed animal characters that we would have to interact with which of course didn't talk and we there was bear and uh, uh marigold and we'd have to literally go but what's that marigold and if you didn't pause long enough, they'd be like, cut, you didn't pause long enough for Marigold to answer. <laughs> like, Marigold says. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was a fun it was a fun run. And that was actually while I was doing the Shaw Festival. So I was driving back and forth from there to Toronto to do that during the first part of rehearsal. So 
It's a busy time. Yeah. Kids TV just seems like such an interesting uh, thing to get into. So it was a year you spent on that job, yeah? Um, I think I did it for two seasons. Like it's like maybe like I don't remember how many episodes per season. It was like a you know a chunk of time where you shoot a bunch of episodes and then you come back next year. I think I did it for two seasons. So were you like every time you went out, were the kids kind of coming up to you? Not really. Not really. Canadians are very, you know, good that way. I don't think I was like, because there was other couples, like there was always two couples on on an episode. And so, you know, my six would play and then another two couple, you know what I mean? So, right. Yeah. They caught, I mean, a couple kids, but it wasn't great pandemonium or anything. (laughs) And were there any of those kind of earlier gigs that you particularly stick in your memory? Well, definitely that one for sure. Um, I'm just looking at what you're looking at. <laughs> well, you see, I'm, I'm only asking because, I mean, usually, obviously, if it's a uh, American or a UK uh, star, then I've got usually a bit more of a knowledge about the TV shows. But, like, Nightwatch, I've got here for four episodes. But kind of what right. tells a bit about that, maybe. Which one? Nightwatch. You played Night, apparently. Oh, my gosh, that. Yeah, that was a real learning experience. I think that was really one of my very first opportunities to be on television and I had no idea what I was doing. I was basically just like a recurring extra. Um, I was one of the nights and so they needed some consistency. It was about um, a group of, of uh, kids that went around helping out with crime at night. Uh-huh. So I was like one of the nights, um, you know, I think I, I can't remember how many episodes I did quite a few. Um, and I remember like not even having an idea of, being aware of where the camera was I would just continue you know being the character like being in the world of that character even when they weren't even shooting where I was (laughs) it was funny but yeah that that was a long time ago well let's let's you for another one here uh cats and dog you did an episode of cats and dog oh my gosh that was a really early one too I think I was like a fan or something in that oh my gosh that's funny um (laughs) Yeah, gosh, that was so long ago. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll I'll try one more, then we will get on to to due south. <laughs> but Kung Fu. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm like not giving you anything. Oh no, exciting. no, please, no, sorry, that wasn't meant as a complaint to you. No, 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 that is the. Uh, it's just um, as I say, it's only because perhaps some of these shows didn't make it over here, so I'm kind of fascinated about right, asking right. about these shows. <laughs> but I don't want to lead you into something that you did a billion years ago that you don't remember no, too well. <laughs> As Kung Fu, the legend continues. Who doesn't love Kung Fu? Oh my gosh, yes, that character, Katanya. I can say about uh, the one below that, ENG, oh, yeah. that was really interesting because I did three episodes and um, I played three different people. It was at the time where, you know, they would recycle the same actors on a show. <laughs> Nowadays, so like, if you've been on the show, you can't be on it again. But I played three different characters ongoing on that show like you know I, like a season would pass and then they'd have me come in and do something else that was kind of funny but um tanya and kung fu the legend continues that wasn't anything huge or significant it was, was just, just one episode yeah okay well we will get on to g south now i'll stop torturing <laughs> you with your early imdb <laughs> well the, the forever night was a funny one that one i yep. had to have um vampire teeth made to fit my my mouth and uh had to wear color contacts but every year after that for halloween 
guess what I was? Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got to keep the teeth. Yeah, that was funny. Oh, great. So that job was just purely to top up your Halloween costume. Yeah, it was a great part though. It was a it was a nice um, guest spot, and it was a fun. Lots of wigs and virtual reality and stuff like that. That was pretty cool. Okay, I, I'm going to bring Michelle in at this point to ask a question now. Is she still awake? If I know, I'm The only reason why she'd be asleep is she has just come off a shift to come here. So we're very glad of her oh, being here. And the rum, right? Yeah, <laughs> pretty much just the rum. <laughs> Well, to get us going on the talking about Juice South, I was going to ask you how you actually um, ended up getting the job in Juice South. How did that come about? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I remember I was I was working at for a temp agency answering phones for this um, law office that had a really long name, and every time the phone would ring, I have to say all. And it was like it was like a one week gig type thing, and so. I went on the audition on my lunch, took a little longer, and then not that long after, a few days later, found out that I was in the running and I had to sort of like sign off on a deal like for the next few years of my life. And I was trying to like negotiate that, answer phones, do all the other stuff. And finally, I had to call the temp agency who were an amazing group of, of women that were always great and they were always good at, you know, throwing jobs to actors um, as needed. They were like, don't worry, we'll send somebody in to cover you after lunch so you can think through this. But yeah, that was a fun um, audition. I feel like I I think that was the one where I, um, I messed up a line and I just improvised and I think it made it, oh yeah, I think that was the one I had to say. I can't remember what I had to say, but I had to say something and I messed it up and I said, or whatever your name is and it kind of worked out but yeah it was a it was a surprise it sort of came out of nowhere i mean that that's agent throws at you and you don't have time to think about it you think okay i don't know how i did on that but whatever it's over you know and then i was like oh by the way so it kind of worked out divine intervention (laughs) i just love the fact that uh you had to hardly get out of a temp job at a law firm to sign up for the next three years of your life I know, I know. And I remember going to the original audition too, changing in the car. Um, boyfriend at the time was like, okay, I'll pick you up at the corner of such and such. And then, you know, because of busy downtown core. Yeah, it's just the life of an actor, right? <laughs> and it's interesting because Tony Craig, when we spoke to him, he said that uh, they actually made him come in and read so many times whereas now now we know all he had to do was get one line wrong improvise really well and he would have been in straight away (laughs) yeah that's funny sometimes i find that the auditions that you get is when you are stressed about something else that you have to do so you're not really focusing on you're not exuding desperation of wanting the job and needing the job you're just like okay here i am this is it and i'm gone you know You've done the work at home, obviously, before you go out there and present yourself. But, yeah, sometimes that just tends to happen, I find, in my career anyway. And do you like I'm worried about, you know, leaving my, my child outside the audition room with a, somebody I kind of know. And I'm more worried about them, <laughs> the child crying and then, you know, getting the getting my lines right. And it's like, okay, you know, <laughs> some, some of those, those seem to be some of the ones that I get. Well, again, to sort of tie in with something that Tony Craig said, and uh, you were were talking about kind of uh, 
being a minority in casting and things like this. But, you know, he was saying about he would end up at auditions a lot of the time along with the same. It was almost like they bust in the same black actors every time. Did you find the same thing ever with their interviews? That, that would happen quite often, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I made I have close friends as a result <laughs> from the <laughs> categories. But then also, too, I would find that um, as things sort of progressed, it would be open to any ethnicity. And one time I even got one where it was, like, open to any gender. They just didn't know what they wanted. It was like, you know, a, oh. a cop-type um, reporter-type, that sort of thing where it was like, we're not really sure which way this character is going to go, but it's like, okay, I'll just go in. <laughs> that sounds like progress though, you know, when they're, when they're yeah, opening up like that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but at least, so, so it sounds like from that, you got some babysitters while you were going for an audition. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I've been so lucky with friends like saying, Oh, I'll just sit with her or cousins here. I have um, some cousins. They live a little further out, but they're always like eager to, help out but now that she's in school i can just you know go or sometimes i bring her with me and she's she's been acting now too so she's she's pretty easy to travel with now and um, what was it like the first day on g south then wow the first day uh, it was so exciting i remember being like really excited and nervous and just uh i think george um bloomfield was my very first director He's a wonderful man um and just meeting everybody, it was it was pretty special. Was it kind of a a, a cast that gelled very quickly? Um, I think so. I mean, from my perspective, for the most part, I um, David was very inspirational to me. He was, uh, you know, I think Canadians. There's a lot of because um, it's a smaller group of actors. You tend to sort of work more than a lot of people that had been sort of living in LA and struggling and waiting. And so he was very, um, very positive about the fact, you know, this shows on CBS and this is such a big deal. And he was very inspiring. He was very inspiring. And, uh, he actually, um, was helpful in me getting my, um, work permit to move here when I first moved here. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, he referred me to his uh, commercial agent who um, sponsored me, so that was very helpful. So you kept in touch after I, the show, or was that at the show, time of the show? Um, I kind of I'm trying to remember. I feel like I'm Facebook friends with his wife, his ex-wife, and um, ironically, just last week, I went to a commercial audition, and who do you think I went in the room with but David Marciano? It was unreal. It was like we hadn't seen each other since um, one of the Due South you know, reunions that they have in Toronto every once in a while, and I don't yeah. think he was at the last few. So it had been quite a few years. I think I've run into him at the grocery store since I moved back here. Um, we moved back in 2013. But um, it was so wild. It was one, um, a big spot that they were bringing in, you know, bigger talent and uh i just happened to have to go in with him it was so funny okay i'm gonna call that due south by southeast exclusive right there <laughs> <laughs> the latest reunion of the cast members i know it's funny we both had to put our reading glasses on to see the sides you might not want to oh i already said it <laughs> but anyway <laughs> reading glasses that you only wear to look cool as is the fashion of the day exactly. yeah 
Exactly. The yeah. ones I have on right now are a very cool frame because I thought we were having a Skype video that I picked up at the dollar store in Toronto <laughs> over the summer. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think Nicola's got a question now. Hiya. I was just going to quickly ask you, we're big fans of Diefenbaker, obviously. Oh, and yeah. we've got our very own Dottie Baker as well here. And oh. me and Dottie Baker wanted to know, what was it like working with the Diefenbakers? Oh my goodness. It was so interesting. And it's funny that you asked that because I am quite allergic to dogs. <laughs> <laughs> So I get like, you know, most people, they sneeze, they, they, their eyes get red and they sneeze. For me, my lungs just tighten up and I get asthma. <laughs> so I have allergy-related asthma, but I love dogs. So, I I mean, it, Stephen Baker was a stage dog, so you really couldn't, you know, play with him much. Um, but the few times that I got to work with him, I obviously had to take, you know, an allergy pill and stuff. It, it was a joy. It was... It was adorable. It was a real joy. The ice cream eating scene obviously yes. was my my favorite, um, and that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun, yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because uh, that was just such a cool end scene because uh, what, what we really loved, because we've just almost finished watching back the first series. Uh, obviously, we watched them all before, but uh, it, it's kind of really interesting to see not only the kind of different kind of team-ups of different people like you and Deefen Baker because he just becomes a character after a while of watching it but also it's how they yeah. they took a, a while to establish a format and then when they have a little break from it so it usually ends with a nice Ray and uh, Benny moment but but it was nice to have a little Elaine Diefenbaker moment at the end of that episode yeah that was a really a really special scene and the, the interesting thing about that scene it wasn't in the script so when I got to set that day um, it was handed to me and said, how quickly can you learn this? <laughs> so it was a last minute add on. I don't know if they had extra time, um, you know, in their, their page counter, but that was something I had to learn on the day. And if I recall correctly, I was, I had a late night the night before because <laughs> I, I was like young, childless, not married and, you know, hung out with girlfriends on occasion. And I think that had been a late night. So I was like, oh yeah, sure. I can learn it. <laughs> but yeah. That's great. And it was really interesting okay. to, to see the progression. I mean, as I say, like on the watchback, we're only up to the end of series one, but over the course of it, how Elaine's character did sort of change and grow. Cause to begin with, she just come in, usually make a comment about how nice uh, Ray's looking, or how Benny's looking that week, <laughs> and then go off again. And you just got more and more to do. Uh, what was it like to kind of sort of get the progression of the character as you went? That was wonderful. Like, that was that was really helpful. I mean, I, I've, I mean, you know, some people come in there with ideas and they push things on. And I didn't – this was the first time for me um, going, ongoing on a, a series. So – I didn't do any of that. So when it happened, I was very excited about it. Um, I think maybe towards the end, I wrote like a little bio that I sort of handed in on what, you know, I thought where my character could go and stuff. But yeah, so that was really nice. Like every time there was, you know, a little bit more of more stuff for me to do and things that I didn't have to wear the uniform for all the time. <laughs> that was always nice. That didn't happen very often, but yeah. It seemed a really great show for that, that it would progress characters, which started off as kind of, you know, if if you will, bit 
part characters and then they become main uh-huh. parts of the show. It was kind of seemed nicely collaborative in that way. Yeah, yeah, they were good about, um, you know, giving you a bit of a character arc. It's lovely. And uh, how was Paul Gross to work with? I mean, it just, it seems like it must have been very difficult for him to have stayed, stayed grounded where his role in the show was every girl falling after him. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was great. He was very funny. I remember, we, I'm sure you guys have heard the story about the penny that we'd always, have you heard the story about the penny? No, no. Oh, you haven't? Um, I don't know who started, if it was Paul or maybe, um, oh gosh, Daniel Cash, I don't know, but they would always hide, I think it was Paul, a penny, a Canadian penny, somewhere inconspicuously in the shot. (laughs) (laughs) Like, they would just hide it somewhere, because, you know, it was supposed to be an American, you know, in America, right? So, take place in Chicago, so that was sort of a little thing that he would do, it was kind of funny. No, I mean, it'll sound silly now, but we didn't actually realise until we started watching it back that it was actually filmed in Canada. We thought it was filmed in America. Oh, yeah, no, it was shot in Toronto. And um, I know they did, they probably sent their second unit team um, to do some outtakes in Chicago just for, you know, coverage. Or maybe they did stock footage. I have no idea. But, um, yeah, it was filmed in Toronto. Yeah, we we actually made it a fun little game. We now look out for a little... um, Little mistakes, little uh, bits of Canada that accidentally slip into the shot. So (laughs) there was was just silly things like there was a Canadian license plate or a Canadian moving company or something on a truck going past. Oh, really? Oh, that's funny. (laughs) I'm I'm impressed that you guys would recognize a Canadian moving company. Well, it's only because it it seemed like the name was a a giveaway somehow. I can't remember what it was, but it or it had a Canadian phone number. There was something on it which gave it away somehow. Right, right. Oh, that's funny. Or, you know, maple now, leaf in the, the design. Any of, um, any of you guys gone back to Toronto for the um, the reunions? Not yet. We're actually talking to the guy who runs it. So uh, maybe for next year when they, they're doing a sort of reunion, reunion I guess, because they've had a few years off doing it. Yeah, and a lot of times they will take you on a tour of where some of the episodes were shot. So that might be really fun for you. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Uh, did you have any yeah. favorite episodes yourself? did like that one with um the ice cream scene and deep and baker that was fun um i also really liked the christmas one where there was a reindeer i don't know if you remember that one i think it was um yeah was it brian Philippe that was on that one that time that was a fun one um and then of course julia is bleeding i had that nice scene with um paul gross tending to his wounds <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah, I mean, there were some good ones. It was all fun. It was just, it was such a joy to be a part of and to get the scripts and say, see, you know, okay, what's on for this time, you know? It was good. And uh, heading into the third series, which was uh, to be your last, uh, what was the decision like, to, first of all, to decide that you kind of want to move on at that point? Well, it was kind of a strange situation because, um, I think they were waiting, like, you, you have an option date where if they don't um, give you a new contract or they don't pick up your option per, by that date, you can do other things. And that had passed only because the show hadn't come together yet. They didn't know who was going to fund it, who was going to produce it. And I think um, that was when uh, Paul Gross stepped in. So I had already, since that date passed, 
I had already moved to LA thinking that, okay, it's not going to happen again this year. And then I got a call from my agent saying, you know, it is happening. Um, you know, your options passed. So we have new contract. What do you want to do? Do you want to, you know, what are the terms and stuff? And so I had already moved to LA. Um, so it was sort of like, well, if you want to move back, we'll keep you in it ongoing. Um, otherwise we'll just, you know, fly you back and forth until we can write your character out. And I was kind of settled at that, that point and had met someone who is now my future, my husband. Um, even though I met him before in college, just didn't realize that that was going to be in the cards. But um, so I was like, yeah, no, I, I, I think I'll just, you know, do the back and forth thing and have you write me out. So, so that's <laughs> how that sort of happened. <laughs> so you think the decision worked out then, yeah? Yeah, I think the decision worked out. I mean, in hindsight, I mean, maybe I could have, you know, moved back and kept the relationship going or, you know, it might have worked out, but I, and I, I'm happy with my choice. Yeah. <laughs> You're doing all right with your husband then. <laughs> <laughs> so far, so good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I wanted to ask about that last episode because that is one which always does stick in my mind. It was it was a belter of an episode anyway, but uh, mm-hmm. that seemed a really cool way of writing Elaine out. So maybe we could speak a bit to to her progression. At the end. Oh my goodness! Yeah, she graduated from the police academy. Yeah, that was such a crazy episode in the woods with the rain and the. Oh my gosh! Yeah. (laughs) Um. Yeah, that was sort of like the first time that I actually got to do any sort of action. Um, with a you know with a a weapon, a gun, whatever, and to you know be out of the office a little bit more. So that was kind of nice for sure. Yeah. I mean, it was very sad. Callum Callum was on that episode. That's right. That was the first time I had worked with Callum, who I actually had met before. Um, But yeah, that was, that was a fun episode. And she got to graduate and stuff. Yeah. I mean, as sad as it was to see Elaine go, that was a pretty good write out, you know, pretty good way of doing it. Yeah. And, and I think it was, because of the way they did do it, of kind of uh, progressing characters, it just seemed like the perfect uh, last step for her to become a, a detective herself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then, yeah. so then you're, you're looking for work in, in LA. How different is it looking for work there versus Canada? Um, you know, it's, it's definitely a bigger field here. You know, the jobs, um, can sometimes be fewer and further between but you know that being said um when the jobs do come they're sometimes they're you know the 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 way that you are um paid is different like in canada you get bought out so they can use the episode over and over for however many years they buy you out whereas here they have to pay you each time so it's you know it has its pros and cons um, obviously the weather is definitely a pro, <laughs> um, and you know, the political environment, not so much, but, um, <laughs> I don't think I've heard anything about that in the news. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, right. Um, but you know, it's, it's definitely, um, a different, a different scene, but you see some, you see some Canadians here and there as well. And I think I've gone into a nice little groove here where, have an agent that gets me out quite frequently and um ironically you know the kim's convenience that you were mentioning 
that happened back in Toronto. And unfortunately we were back for my mother-in-law my husband's mom passed away. And so we had to go suddenly. And, um, my agent was like, you know, is there any way you can make this audition without even asking me if I wanted to go out on stuff? Is there any way you can make this audition? And it was like sort of after, and we were about to leave and a few days before we were about to fly out. And I was like, okay. I mean, thinking that, you know, whatever, it'd be just nice to see that casting agent. I hadn't seen her for a while. And then I ended up having to change my ticket. And, but, um, yeah, you know, you just take it where you can. And, and I've, I've still been doing a lot of, um, well, not a lot of, but getting back into writing and looking to make another, film I've, I've done a couple shorts yes. that I've wrote, directed and so I, I've sort of been writing a feature for way too long so now that my daughter's in school I have a little bit more time to myself to sort of focus on getting back into that realm of things too yeah if we could talk about your shorts for a minute so it was uh, The Sacrifice in 2003 and Cling Teeth Wednesdays in 2013 uh-huh. yeah so you know where, uh-huh. how, how do you go about starting to, to do something yourself Especially in 2003, um, I could imagine it was a lot more difficult. Well, 2003, I was living here at the time still, and um, I did it through uh, Screen Actors Guild, the experimental agreement. And that was sort of based on a, a visit to, a random visit to a fortune teller that gave me some really, like, and I don't usually do anything like that. I was with a friend. She's like, oh, come on, let's go just for fun. And I was like, oh, all right. Um, she just gave me some really weird, like a really weird reading. And I was like, and, I, and it, it, it was obviously designed to make me come back. It was like, okay, if you don't want these things to happen, you know, you have to come back and burn these candles that cost such and such. So I was like, yeah, whatever. But then I started to think, what if this happened, but not so, you know, phony or weird as that one? What if this actually happened to this effect? Like it's, it basically asked the question, you know, what would you do if somebody told you? something awful was going to happen to you or a loved one. First of all, would you even believe it? Um, but if things started to happen that, you know, was forecast, what would you do to prevent it from happening and at what cost or at what sacrifice? So that's basically the, the, the question behind that, the name of it. Um, yeah. So that was a fun thing. And mostly, you know, the cast was mostly actor friends, um, but we did it all through SAG and stuff. And that was my, and I wasn't planning on directing it. I just wrote it and was, you know, trying to figure out how to fund it. And my husband who went to UCLA for directing, he was like, you should just direct it. I mean, it's your story. It's this, it's that. And he sort of encouraged me to do it. And then I ended up taking a bunch of classes and thought I can do this. It's like painting a picture. You just get to pick the colors. So, and which I, I do as well. I paint a little bit too. So I was like, okay, I think I can do this. And I, I have to say that, the most enjoyable part to me in the end was in the editing room later, you know, just getting yeah. to bring it all together. It's a real magical experience. So that was that one. And then, um, for clean teeth Wednesdays, that was based on a short story that my sister wrote when she was little, my younger sister that I always loved. And it was very graphic and visual that I always remembered it. And it's basically a, a group of first grade students that stage a secret revolt against the uh, fluoride treatments from the 80s so um that was always something I wanted to do and I had applied for different grants I was living back in uh Toronto from 2007 um and applied for different grants didn't get one year after year and then finally I 
I think it's after I got invited to um, Women in the Director's Chair, and I got a, a scholarship for that. And I shot a, a, an excerpt from my feature that I've been writing now <laughs> still. But I think that probably helped me get a grant for that, like having that on my resume. And I was pregnant when I got the grant. And I, I mean, I remember Steve picking up the envelope going, oh, you know, here, look, here's your results. I was like, yeah, just throw it away. I'm sure it's a no. And he was like, why don't we just open it? And I was like, okay. And he was like, you got it. And I thought he was messing with me. It's like, you got the grant. So that one um, I ended up directing when I was like, eight months pregnant <laughs> because in Canada um, the government gives you um, maternity leave and I didn't want my government grant to cancel out my maternity leave so I was like I'm gonna make this short before this baby comes out and I also <laughs> be very distracted so I was like let me just make this happen so that was a, a very fun experience in July at um, eight months pregnant that's great. It reminds me a bit. Yeah. Have you ever heard of the film Prevenge? Prevenge? Yeah, it's it's an indie movie, an indie horror movie over here. You know, filmed over here in the UK. Uh, there was a uh, actress slash stand up comic who was, uh, you know, who she got pregnant and she found that she couldn't get jobs while she was pregnant. Just she kept on getting turned down. And uh, so she wrote this film about this pregnant woman who the baby was telling her to to murder people. And oh my god! So she wrote her pregnancy into a movie. It just seems like such a cool thing to do to um, use that time while you're pregnant to create something yourself. Is just, I think, very brave. You know, it's a lot to do. <laughs> Hilarious! Yeah, it was. Uh, it was quite the experience. It was a very hot uh, shoot for sure. One of the the lead actress was a little girl whose mom was a nurse, so that was nice. <laughs> and she was more concerned about me than anything. Oh, she was great. Well, if, I, if I can just uh, to round up, dip into a couple more of your uh, credits past due south. So uh, I, a show which I was obsessed with back in the day and I still watch in reruns is Fraser. So you're in an episode of that. Oh, yeah. That was a wonderful experience. Yeah. Um, and it was nice because sitcoms are rehearsed. like Well, three camera sitcoms are rehearsed like a play. You know, you come in, you do table reads, you block it. So I was there for the week with the cast. And the thing that fascinated me the most, I have to say, is how many times they change the script. Comedy is, you know, they have to go through network and studio approval. And they're constantly changing the script. And Kelsey Grammer, how quickly he would learn. I mean, I had to, you know, I had to keep changing what some of the things I said, too. And it was back in the time where they would deliver the script to you. So, you know, I'd get a different script every day, a different color as it changes, that colors change. But um, that was challenging. But, you know, you, you just did it. But I was impressed with how quickly, and even up until the day we taped the scene, they were changing it. Like, even when I was in the makeup chair, they're like, oh, they just clipped this a bit. I was like, oh, my gosh. But he had so much, you know. I was like, how do they do this? Yes. <laughs> but it's, it was fun. It's, it's awesome experience. It seems such a den densely written show. Just it was so, just full of one liners and well thought out scenes. You know, I, I, I'm. It kind of doesn't surprise me they were writing it to the last minute. Yeah, very true. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, just to have. Sorry, a uh, uh, little wolf here is uh, making a way around the room now. Um, so, uh -huh. uh, the next one I've got is Days of Our Lives. So you know, to to do a soap like that must be kind of an interesting experience. 
Oh gosh, that was such a, 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 a small in and out sort of just offer. <laughs> I was um, a midwife to um, one of the main characters, and I, I thought, you know, maybe the storyline might come back, but it didn't happen. So that was literally just one day. Um, the other soap, Young and the Restless, I did um, a few episodes of. That was different, and same with um, Port Charles. I did a couple episodes, four, four episodes of that one. But Days of Our Lives was just the one, the one episode. Is it kind of insane, the schedule with those? I can imagine you just, like, shoved in front of the camera, moved away the second your scene's done. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, they go, it's really fast. In fact, when I did the other ones, like, you know, two episodes are shot in one day, sometimes three, depending on, you know, the location and how quick, how much they can cover. Yeah, it's very fast and can be very confusing. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, to bring it a bit up to date, there's a couple which you've done recently. Uh, How to Get Away with Murder, uh, what a phenomenon that show is. Oh, my gosh. That was, I mean, we had actually been watching that show, and it was like a favorite show, like a binge-watching Netflix show. Um, So when I went out for it, it was kind of like, because they're very secretive of shows that are that popular. Like, they wouldn't even give me the whole script. My scene actually was with somebody named James, and I've been watching the show, and I'm like, there is no James on this show. What is this about? But they didn't want you to know that what was going to happen to the main character in the next season. So I think it was the first or second episode of the of season two. Right. So I don't know if you watch the show, but I won't have any spoilers. But something happens, and we, you know, people are wondering what's the outcome of that. So. They're very secretive of that. So that was a, a great experience. Viola Davis was wonderful to work with. We talked about, you know, our similarities and that we both had kids the same age. We were both, um, you know, married to um, people that had been married before. So we had, anyway, it was a really nice, it was a really nice um, experience. That's fantastic. Well, I, I just want to thank you for, for spending an evening with us uh, talking about uh, your career in Due South. Oh, you're so welcome. I hope it, you know, sounds relatively funny and witty and somewhat intelligent. <laughs> well, uh, to round off, uh, one uh, question which I like to ask actors and writers and, and well, you know, everything else that you do in your career, uh, what, what would be your advice to someone who wants to crack into writing, acting, producing any of the stuff, the creative arts? Run. Run. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just, you know, if you want to do it, just do it. Just be doing it all the time. Like, write on the side and make your own things on the side absolutely yeah that's fantastic well um we usually like to end the episodes by asking the listener to until next week keep their compasses pointed due south by southeast so i was was wondering if you might deliver that immortal line for us oh my gosh what do i say again until next week keep your compasses pointed due south by southeast Alrighty. Well, until next week, keep your compasses pointed due south by southeast. That's perfect. Thank you very much for that tonight or today. (laughs) You're so welcome. Um, Yeah, I hope you have a great day, and uh, thanks for chatting with us. Thank you, guys. You're welcome. And one other thing I didn't mention that I'm very excited about, um, you don't have to record it. I got. I can put this as an after credit? 
It's yeah, I'm nominated for a premiere award that um, they're flying me back to Toronto for. It's it's a Ontario College Award. It's the Creative Arts and Design category, and it's for to honor important social and economic contribution to the arts of college graduates. So I'm really excited about that. So that's amazing. Congratulations. Great work. Thank you. I totally forgot to mention it. But anyway, guys, <laughs> thank you so much. Take care. Thank you very much. Speak to you later. Bye. Right. Bye-bye. But for now, it's time for something that won't play out loud. Oh, no. That's helpful. It's going to sound so smooth once I've edited it. Together. And I was going to say, what's the new equipment? We're in danger of sounding um, quite professional. But, you know, it's, it's never really going to happen, is it? It's time for... With a bit of... Let me just play again. So it's Mini Mountie Cop, 